It has to be the white guy, okay? <laughs> yeah, he's the one who wants to live, and we're gonna turn him suicidal. It's just that, that beard hair is coming up before he goes near it. I swear to God, you were dropped on your head as a child. Vic, come back. If you don't listen to the new episode of the Pillbox podcast because all the hosts are retarded, you hate disabled people. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, Wine, Sharp, Glover, Burton, Rex Lynn, I hope you all... This is gonna be a fucking treat, man. I am excited. Yeah, we were talking about how chimpanzees like to have sex with jaguars and that jaguars are the actually in our White House. The president is not human. He's actually a jaguar king. I think I'm gonna uh, die. What the fuck? The question, the question everyone's asking: Did Sonic and Pikachu fuck? We could just, Vic and I could just sing a duet right now, and it could be our default intro every time. Anything else I'm missing? You know what? You know what? Fuck you. Fuck Twitter. And fuck this podcast. You know what? Fuck this. I'm done. I'm done. I don't have to deal with you. Oh God! I'm. <clears throat> I quit. I'm out. I quit the podcast. Somebody come get her. She doesn't like See, that was gold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 23 of the Pillbox Podcast. Uh, Vic is here, but he is away from the call at the moment. He should be back in a little while. Um, I'm Monica. Jeb. And I'm drinking water. <clears throat> and I guess we'll just jump right in. Um, this is... Uh, okay, so I have some bad news. <clears throat> An Oregon man faces criminal charges after police say he igni- uh, ignited and tossed a large firework during a parking lot spat and accidentally set four moving trucks on fire, as well as someone secretly siphoning gas from one of them. The wild blaze erupted early Sunday morning in Eugene when Dylan Thomas Hanna, 28, got into a verbal altercation with a woman in her 30s outside a U-Haul storage center on Orion Avenue at about 5.45 a.m., police said. During the exchange of words, Hannah lit a mortar-style firework from inside his car and threw it at the woman, who ran for cover. Yeah, I can't blame her on that. (laughs) The subsequent blaze sent sparks flying through the U-Haul parking lot, police said. Some of the burning embers landed near a bank of moving trucks where, unbeknownst to the quarrelers, a man had been siphoning gas. Four trucks burst into flames. So did the unsuspecting gas thief who was spotted fleeing the scene with his pants and sleeves on fire. Police later tracked down... Uh, What? I wish I would have been there to see that. Right? Uh, Police later... Wait, is it that video of that guy dressed in black who's pouring gas inside a car? No, uh, somebody was siphoning gas at a U-Haul parking lot, and this dude got into a fight with some bitch, and rather than continuing with a verbal altercation, he lit a firework on fire and threw it out the window at her, and she ran... When the firework exploded, it lit four moving trucks on fire, as well as the person who was siphoning gas. 
Well, that's the dumbest motherfucker I've ever heard of. <clears throat> Both idiots. <laughs> the the person who was siphoning gas is still uh basically he got away with it. They never caught him. But the one who threw the firework got arrested. Well, yeah, so no shit. <laughs> <sighs> <clears throat> um, another That's... story that I read that ended up I decided against using it. Um, some German guy at a uh, nude beach got his laptop bag and laptop stolen by a wild boar and chased the boar into the <laughs> woods. There is a video of this naked man chasing a boar into the woods. <laughs> and he... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he actually managed to win against the boar and get his laptop back. I mean, hey, if I was nude, I would chase the boar, too. <laughs> You'd be the reason why the boar is running away. Yeah. Probably. Uh, so that's it for my first part of my segment. I'll jump into the other one, the shorter one, uh, after whoever goes next segment is over. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Motherfucker with Sam L. Jackson. Even though he doesn't make an appearance on the podcast. And he probably won't in the future. Unless we get a million subscribers. Don't get your hopes up. Yeah, my hopes aren't up. So, you both know The Shining, right? You've both seen it. I've read Doctor Sleep, I've watched The Shining, I watched the miniseries of The Shining, and I've read the book of, of The Shining. I own the book for The Shining right now, and the book for Doctor Sleep was really good, but I assume the movie was trash. Oh, you can judge for yourself. So, in the beginning of the movie, uh, Danny's still a little boy, and... The old bitch from uh, the Overlook is still haunting him. Whenever he goes into, whenever he goes to the bathroom, she's in the bathtub. Uh, okay, before you continue, and, uh, super quick question, just so I know what's up: Is Doctor Sleep uh, is the movie a sequel to the Shining movie, or is it more of a sequel to the book? Because the book is a lot different than the movie. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, he, it, it has. It has nothing to do with both, like, but a little bit. Yeah. So you could say both. Like, it's just it's just a little part that's that has anything to do with. Okay. Here's with the, the here's shine. the best thing. Here's the best thing that I can say to determine if it's related to the book or to the movie. It, does the Overlook Hotel still exist? Because in the book, Jack Torrance forgot to dump the boiler and the entire place exploded and that's how Jack died. But in the movie, he just went outside and froze to death. So if the Overlook still exists in the movie, then it's related to the movie if, it's, uh, if oh, it yeah, doesn't. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, not, it's a sequel to the movie because I just remembered that when you said it. Yeah, it's a sequel to the movie. Okay. Because he references his dad freezing to death a dozen times. Okay, well then I will say that this is going to be an abject failure because nobody can make a sequel to a Stanley Kubrick movie. Yep. I mean, I won't say the Shining movie was bad, but if you 
I mean, if you haven't read the book, you would say The Shining is a masterpiece. Oh, I can still say that The Shining movie is a masterpiece. It's just, it's not the book. It's it's nothing like the book. It's a completely different idea. It's not the same thing. It's just like uh, Gerald's game when they made the movie. I don't know. There's not much you could do with a movie for Gerald's game. That whole book is literally just this bitch's handcuffed to a bed remembering shit. And then occasionally there's like ghosts and shit. And her boyfriend is like dead on the floor. Well, then again, the way I see it, when you if you actually want to execute a good book into a motion picture, you, I'd rather do it into a series so I can cover everything. Not a two-hour movie. I, I could say I could see where you're coming from with that, but I don't feel like books necessarily need to be identical to the movies. You don't need to hit every plot point. When you're making a movie, you're taking the base idea of the book and you're converting it into a motion picture. You're not covering every scene uh, dialogue for dialogue. Well, yeah, but like, like we saw in The Shining, they completely altered the ending. They altered everything. That entire thing, the the entire subtext was even different. I mean, Jack was a creepy fuck the entire movie. He was always an asshole. But in the book, Jack started out as a good man with a troubled past. And he was trying to do better, and the hotel made all of his demons come back. In the movie, he was just an asshole all the way through. I mean, it, it's Jack Nicholson. What do you expect? He looks like a creepy fucker in real life. Uh, I think... I know I'll catch shit for this if anybody actually watches. I'll catch a lot of shit for this. But I think Nostalgia Critic got it right. He was discussing a comparison of the miniseries to the movie. And he said that the one bad thing about the movie is that Jack Torrance wasn't Jack Torrance. Jack Torrance was just Jack Nicholson. And in the miniseries, even though it sucked, the one good thing that they got right was Jack Torrance's character. You're watching the progression of Jack Torrance in that miniseries. You're not watching Jack Nicholson. I mean, when have you ever seen Jack Nicholson not look like a creepy fucker? Seriously. Exactly. But, I mean, even the way he acted, he acted like an asshole that entire movie. It just got progressively worse as the movie progressed. But he was always an asshole in the movie. It's not even the same character, really. Well, because he's an asshole in real life. Have you have you not heard anything about when they were shooting the movie? In, in the scene where um, Jack is trying to break down the bathroom door and the actress uh, starts to cry, she was actually crying. You can't blame... No, 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 no. how no, no. Uh, Kubrick and Nicholson... You what they, they said it's because Kubrick and Nicholson kept yelling at her because her acting was bad and she was stressed out. Yeah, and uh, she needed therapy after the movie. Yeah, you can't you can't really blame Nicholson for all of that though. Kubrick was an abusive director in all of his movies because he demanded perfection from everyone. But it is noted that Nicholson would yell at her occasionally too. Yeah, that's fine. But the majority of the issues lay on Kubrick's. Uh, doorstep because of how he was as a director you couldn't get away with that shit today because he was like mentally abusive to everybody that was uh, at shooting at most of his films because everything had to be perfect i will say that they made for some damn good movies but he was a fucking asshole and you've got to blame him for the way that things went not jack nicholson well you make the point 
So, uh, you guys remember the, uh, I forget his name because it was never mentioned in Dr. Sleep, uh, the black guy that was, uh, the guy that gave them the tour of the Overlook? I know who you're talking about. The other one? I think his name was John, maybe? Fuck, I can't, I can't The guy who also shined. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, I'm trying to remember his name. So... He, uh, of course he's dead, but you know how, you know, people who shine can see dead people. Oh. Like a sixth sense kind of thing. Oh, and that's interesting. He didn't die in the book. And he actually appears in the sequel. Dead in Dr. Sleep. Yeah, he appears but in the book. In, in The Shining, he was killed by death. Yeah, in, in, uh, in the book, The Shining, he was hit with a mallet, but he wasn't killed. And he helped them escape via a, um, snowmobile. No, in the movie they do escape via snowmobile, but uh, he was already dead. Jack hit him with the axe. Yeah, he didn't get hit with an axe in the book. He got hit with a croquet mallet. I don't, I don't remember that there is even an axe in the book. Was it there? No, he used the croquet mallet for the entire, uh, when he finally lost his mind. He was wandering the hotel with a croquet mallet. So, uh, this guy sits down with Danny and explains how, uh, how he should make a box in his mind to trap the dead people because they're haunting Danny because he has some kind of, uh, spirit or something that they can feed on because he shines. And apparently he's, like, powerful as fuck when it comes to shining. So their their goal is to feed on him on on his shining thing, and there's this other character who's leading a a group of other weirdos that can shine, and uh, what they do is they abduct children who can shine and feed on their shining in order to stay young forever so it then jumps to where Danny is uh, an older man but he's an alcoholic and uh, age plus alcohol like uh, like kind of dims his shine you know what I mean like it's like he's weaker now like, he's still tough as fuck compared to everyone else who can shine. But he's weaker. And he, uh, he like, vows that he will never shine again, so he just stops using it. So that affects it as well. Uh, he moves to some small city to start over. Uh, his, uh, his mother is already dead. So he moves to some city to start over. He goes to rehab. And he rents an apartment with a blackboard for a wall. And the guy that helps him out, the guy he finds as soon as he gets off the bus, starts to help him. He can, like, shine a little bit. You know how it's explained in the, sh in the, in the first movie how some people can shine, but a little bit, so they don't even notice it? Like, um, as they put it, like, they could get a good grade on a test they didn't study for, or, like, if they're a baseball player, they can predict how the throw is going to be, stuff like that. 
So they don't realize they don't actually realize they can shine. So uh, Dan takes the apartment, uh, rents the apartment above that guy, Billy. And there's another girl in the city that can shine even power, uh, more powerful than he can. And she starts writing him messages on the blackboard, and he responds. Like, the, the first half of the movie is just that. Like, it's just useless shit. I feel like I don't... Like it's I haven't two read the book, hours and a half long. I haven't read the book in a long time, but I don't remember anything with a fucking blackboard in the book. No, the whole wall was a blackboard. Yeah, I don't remember any of this in the book Doctor Sleep at all. And the girl, Abra, uh, she kept leaving him messages like, Hello, what's up? And uh, he finds a job working at like a... There's like a little train that children get, get on, like a small train that just goes around in circles. He finds a job there, Billy hooks him up. And one night... Uh, because Abra can shine so strong, she can sense other people shining from miles away. So, the uh, that group of shiners, their leader Rose, uh, she abducts a kid who can shine, a baseball player. And what they do is, they torture them, and... In their screams of pain, like, somewhat of a white smoke comes out of their mouth, and that's the shine. But pain purifies it so they can suck it in. So they tortured the kid to death, and through all this, Abra can feel it. And she sends a message to Dan saying, Red Rum. Of course, you guys know Red Rum, right? Murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a tattoo on my leg. <laughs> nice. And uh, he notices it and he writes uh, on the blackboard, he writes who? And she replies, baseball kid. And it just goes away. And uh, a couple days later, he's at his job. And the, the girl, she's 13. She, uh, Abra just decides to get on a bus and go find Dan. And uh, as they describe it in, in the movie, it's like a GPS in her head, so she knows exactly where he is. And uh, she, she talks to him through Shining. They go sit on a bench. Uh, she asks him for help. And he says, in this day and age, an, an old man like me sitting down with a little girl like you will grab attention. And then she just yells out, He's my Uncle Dan! In the park. And... You know, he refuses, tells her the shine is dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Then, uh... Rose finds out about Abra. And... She's like, we gotta feed on her. She's powerful as fuck. We really need to feed on her. It's like her group is a bunch of hippies who can shine. They're gypsies. Like they all live in trailers. They're gypsies. It's made clear in the book that they're gypsies. 
Yeah, it's not mentioned in the movie. All you can see in mo- in the movies is that they smoke weed and they all live in trailers. I think the reason for that is is the 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 the, 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 the term gypsy is kind of a pejorative term and it's not really PC to use it. But they're so gypsies. Dan Dan decides to help her after uh, he sees a vision. Uh, Abra and Rose kind of like fight. Uh, they they kind of fight in like so. There's there's something new introduced in the movie that when they shine, like their soul can kind of leave their body and they can go anywhere they want in the world. And. Uh, Abra gets into Rose's mind. No, it's the opposite. Uh, Rose gets into Abra's mind first. And Rose is like this powerful bitch. And Abra kicks her out and gets into her mind. So now Rose is just determined that she has to get her for revenge. And she tells, uh, she tells Dan about everything. And he says, the first thing you have to do is tell your parents. And when she does, he goes there with Billy to her parents' house. And his dad, her dad walks out like, you fucking pedo, she's 13. And he tries to punch him, but then Abra shows him like visions and stuff. And... Uh, Billy and Dan go to, using The Shining, they know where those guys buried the uh, the baseball kid. And they go, they dig him up, and they get a baseball mitt he had on him. Because apparently if they have the baseball <laughs> mitt, Abra can track them down using the mitt. And they get back. They give her the mitt, she tracks him down, and she's like, oh, they're coming this way, but Rose isn't with them. So what they do is... They... Uh, they go somewhere to meet them, like, halfway. Like, it's in the middle of the forest. And so they, they have Abra. And one of the girls in the group approaches her, and she has a... What's it called? Uh... Uh, a needle in hand and she tries to dose Abra but then it turns out to be a doll because apparently that's something that people who can shine can do they can make inanimate objects look like them it seems like this movie has just decided that the shine can do anything basically yeah if you can shine your god then You know, now I want to see a fight between Dan, Dirty Harry, and Leon Kennedy. Uh, Okay, so uh, Dan would beat Leon, and then um, uh, Dirty Harry would just breathe on uh, Dan and he would die. Hmm. Interesting. Let's make a movie out of that. Is this going to be like a Freddy vs. Jason style movie? We could do that. So, 
I know, I know this movie is boring, but I have to watch it for two hours and a half, so shut up and listen. Uh, so, there are like ten people, the group, because the only one left back is Rose, because they're worried that Abra could sense Rose and track her down. And... There's one of them that was supposedly with them, but you don't see him there in that scene. So Billy and Dan are hiding behind trees and they start shooting at them. And all those like 15 people have guns, but they can't shoot either of them. And they shoot everyone. The last one they shoot, a 15 year old girl with a group, she can manipulate other people's actions with the shining. Like if she said, sleep, you would sleep, like hypnotizing. So, uh, Dan runs out of ammo when he's trying to shoot her, and she's the last one left. And uh, she puts him to sleep and reloads his rifle and aims it at him. And then Billy saves him, shooting her in the neck, and while she's dying, she tells Billy to kill himself, and he shoots himself in the head. Uh Meanwhile, there was one of the group, Rose's right hand, the crow. He killed Abra's dad and he uh, drugged her and took her. And she connects with Dan through Shining. And what they do is they replace, like, like Dan's soul is now in her body. So they're in the car and now Dan takes over and he's talking to Crow and Crow explains how he's kind of, he's he kind of, he's going to live forever and then Dan says no no I don't think so and he like motions with his hands and he moves the car and crashes it into a tree and Crow dies uh real quick before you continue just because I had to look it up because it was driving me nuts uh, the black guy in The Shining's name was uh, Dick Halloran. Halloran. I feel better now. Uh, everything went. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> They drop out. Oh, he's back. Yes, we're back. Fuck Discord. A word that I cut off. Uh, I was saying I interrupted you for a second to tell you that um, the black guy in The Shining's name was Dick Hall ha Halloran. Ha Halloran. Whatever. Uh, because I had to look it up because it was driving me nuts and then you blanked out. What was the last thing I said? Uh, you were talking about uh, Danny crashing the car. Oh, yeah. So, Crow dies, and Amber just starts walking back, and Rose, who saw everything, gets furious. She has these, like, bottles for the Shining Souls or whatever, and she sucks up, like, five or six of them, so now she's, like, tough as fuck. And she, ew! Ew! What's that? Oh my God! It, it, hey, what did you do with Vic? Did you eat him? Is he inside you? 
I find it funny no, that Vince. I find it funny that everything froze except for Jeb. <laughs> this really is a bizarro universe. Jeb beat both your asses with his quality. Yeah, everything for like not on Discord, just on OBS. Everything froze except for Jeb. Jeb is still moving around and doing his thing. So yeah, he he wakes up the hotel, and then he walks. He starts like remembering these good old memories. He walks into the bathroom. He looks out the window, and then he walks into the gold room. He sits at the bar, and this guy pops up. He's supposed to be Jack Nicholson, like he's supposed to look like Jack Nicholson, but he doesn't. He just looks like a fat Mel Gibson. <laughs> uh. See, this is already pissing me off because um, back in the day, uh, like, I listened to uh, Last Podcast on the Left pretty religiously, and they did an episode where they interviewed the director for this movie. And the director made it clear multiple times that uh, his movie was supposed to be uh, uh, paying respect to Stephen King. But so far, all I've heard in this review is sucking Stanley Kubrick's dick. And making this all yeah, about yeah. his fucking movie. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And so to be on the same page, what movie is this? Doctor, Doctor Sleep. Sleep. Sounds retarded, I'm in. It's the sequel, quote-unquote sequel to The Shining. Like, it's not really a sequel, but it's tangentially related. It's uh, Jack Torrance's son and Gypsy's uh, torturing children. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, remember Lloyd? Lloyd. The name sounds familiar. The bartender, oh. where, when, when Jack first goes crazy. Yes. He's like, yeah, that's what's up, Lloyd. Yep. So, basically, Lloyd is now Jack Torrance. And Dan is talking to him. He's like, my mother died when I was 20. And because of the fucking shining, I couldn't even see her face when she was dying. And she noticed it. And uh, he says, I think you're mistaking me for somebody else. And he's like, so you're not Jack Torrance? And he says, no, I'm Lloyd. Would you like to have a drink? And then there's a stupid scene where Lloyd gets mad because Dan doesn't drink, and then Abra calls for Dan because she was waiting in the car as a lookout while Dan wakes up the hotel. And so... They run into the hotel, and you remember the scene in The Shining where Danny's mother is on the stairs with a, with a wooden bat? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that part. So now Dan is standing on the stairs, but he has the axe. Okay. Yeah, Justin, I can't hear your audio for some reason. Can you hear it now? Yes. Okay. Alright. So yeah, he's standing on the stairs with the axe. And... He tries to fight off Rose with the axe but she beats the shit out of him oh sorry sorry before she beats the shit out of him 
you know, the stairs is in the room where Jack used to write. Mm-hmm. And he's standing by the typewriter, and he's standing on the stairs, and they try to trap her in uh, Abra's mind. And in in the mind thing, she, they're in the maze. And Abra starts coming out of nowhere like a ninja and stabbing her multiple times. Until Rose finds out that she's actually in Dan's mind. And he's trying to uh, put her in a box like he did everyone else. And she, she gets out of it. Then Abra runs to the room uh, they were staying in in The Shining. And... Dan tries to kill her with the axe, but he gets the sh- uh, the shit beaten out of him, and she drops him down the stairs. She she pushes him down the stairs, and she tries to get into his mind. So he opens up the boxes, and every character from The Shining, you know, the characters that the hotel shines because apparently the building itself can shine. All those characters, the twins, the guy that keeps saying good party isn't it and the old lady with the saggy boobs yeah they eat roses shine and then they look at dan and the hotel takes over dan just like he did and and this is this is something i really hate this is the most part i hate the hotel takes over dan okay and they make it as if jack wasn't going crazy he was actually being controlled by the hotel. Well, what the well, fuck? In the, in the original movie, he kind of was being controlled by the ghosts, along with his already his established violent tendencies. Yeah. Well, forget the movie. I mean, even even it's even far off from the movie. But in the book, he goes insane. No, he goes insane, yes. but it's directly due to the shi- the building. It's because of the hotel. That's accurate. Well, yeah, but the building does not possess his body, does it? Not directly, no. It doesn't actually possess him, quote-unquote. But if you're going by movie logic, the idea is is that he was there the entire time because it even ends with the zoom-in on that old picture of the hotel and Jack is on the fucking crew. So you're kind of off on this one whether you're going by the book or by the movie, I mean, both are completely different, but they're, you're, 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 you're wrong. But wait, in the book, he goes crazy, yes, due to The Shining, but it doesn't, it does not, the hotel does not possess his body. He just goes crazy, he goes insane. Uh, right? <sighs> Fuck, man, it's been a while since I've read the book. You're kind of right, but you're kind of wrong. It's directly due to the influence of the hotel, and you could frame it as a possession, sort of, but it's not directly possessing him. Well, the hotel possesses Dan in this movie, and they remake the whole scene... Where Jack, you know, where Jack is following Danny and he's going around the hotel with the axe. They remake the the whole scene because they even get Dan injured in his leg while fighting Rose. And uh, th- this is shitty. In uh, 
when he gets to Abra and he holds up the axe and he's about to chop her in half and then he stops because he's resisting the possession. Oh my god, this is... Ugh. Okay, go ahead. And he's like, Get out of here! I can't hold it back much longer! <laughs> I had a bad image in my head. It, we're talking about a 13-year-old child. Shut up. Oh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so do you wanna do you wanna before you continue, do you wanna know how the book ended, Vincent? Doctor Sleep? Yes. Wait, wait, we're at the ending. Wait until I, I tell the ending. Okay, okay. I, I want you to compare and contrast when you're done. I want you to listen to the ending of the book, and I want you to tell me which one you think did it better. Go ahead. Will do. So, Abra runs out of the hotel, and she stands at the door. After telling the hotel, who is now Dan, basically, that... When Dan came in, he turned on the boiler and he did all that shit that was originally in, in the Shining book. And he, the hotel, as Dan goes down to the boiler room and he tries to shut everything off, but he fails. And the whole place burns down. And Dan burns with it. Wow. And that, the ending is that Dan starts to visit Abrob as a ghost. And he tells her not to hide her shining from the world. Wow. Okay. And yeah, that's that's basically it. Then she starts telling everyone that she can shine. Wow. Okay, so um, in the book, I don't remember a lot of the details, but I remember the ending pretty vividly. There's a lot of stuff with that kid, Abra, and these fucking gypsies that are, you know, eating the shining from children and whatnot. But the book ends with uh, the final confrontation is going to be at the Overlook Hotel. And Danny does not want to go. He Everything is resisting him going. And he finally goes. And rather than the hotel being there, all that's left is like a plaque and like a memorial to it. So they have the final showdown at the memorial of the Overlook Hotel, and Danny is not strong enough to take down the head bitch, and he is doing everything that he can, and he's going to die. He is right at the end here. They're gonna fucking win. And Jack Torrance's spirit comes back long enough to save his son. And the book, uh, the, the last part of that particular part of the book ends with Jack Torrance smiling at his son, waving and then disappearing which creates closure for Danny from the hotel and all of the bad memories around it and closure with his father dying so Danny doesn't die no Danny does not die <sighs> who did it better Stephen King or this dumb what? shit I mean, the movie was, as a whole, bad, but in the end, Danny dying was a bad decision. When you kill off the main character, you have to do it right, or don't do it at all. Yep. Yep, I can agree to that. And it sucked. 
he just burns because he can't he can't overcome the hotel. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, but here's the thing: if you're if you're gonna film a movie based on a book, do your best not to change the fucking ending because that alienates everybody that read the fucking book. That exactly. Also alienates the author. Did Jeff say something? I couldn't hear him. Uh, yeah, he's been talking this whole time. Fuck you. <laughs> Why can't I? Hear? You might want to disconnect and reconnect. This happened with Vincent before. Remember? Uh, okay, oh, give me one sec. Uh... <clears throat> uh, I will say that you can do big changes like that. Like The Shining is a good example of that being successful, but it definitely alienated the author because Stephen King said he hated uh, Stanley Kubrick's interpretation of his work. Uh, from what I read, I mean, The Shining wasn't bad. The movie was not bad, but Doctor Sleep was bad. Was very bad. If I remember correctly, is the is one of the reasons why Stephen King did not like The Shining was because The Shining's main character just comes off as just someone who was susceptible to the influence and was just insane, and it it didn't have like the. I don't know, the more the emotional weight of the novel or something like that? Uh, it was, yeah, that's pretty accurate. If I remember correctly, it was basically Jack Torrance was a bad cast choice for, or Jack Nicholson was a bad cast choice for Jack Torrance, and the way that they portrayed his character was a disservice to Jack Torrance. I might be off you on know, that, but if I remember I, correctly, I that was right. Jack Torrance. What'd you say, Vincent? You know which actor I would have be Jack Torrance? Let me guess, let me guess. Mel Gibson. Yes, I was Fuck about no. to <laughs> Who? You need somebody with talent who's done this kind of thing before. Descending into madness. Like Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's too fat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the dude and I... Honestly, if I remember correctly, that Shining miniseries, while pretty fucking out, like the Shining TV miniseries, the guy who played Jack Torrance was pretty fucking spot on. Yeah, uh, that I discussed that earlier. I was talking about what the nostalgia critic said about it. Um, that uh, although the the miniseries itself was pretty terrible, it actually did uh, Jack Torrance properly. And what's interesting is the actor who played Jack Torrance in that miniseries, the only thing that I know of that he is known for outside of that miniseries is he played the main character on the sitcom Wings. <laughs> oh, shit. In my opinion, after seeing A Beautiful Mind, where Russell Crowe is just a a normal guy and he slowly descends into madness and he starts seeing things that aren't there and he can't he can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not after seeing that movie I'm convinced this man could do any role <clears throat> um, real quick Vincent this review that you did you know that this just sounds like Dr. Sleep right <laughs> that meme doesn't work now I don't give a fuck you're just, you're just what were you gonna say, Vic? Oh shit! 
No, I'm just saying, like, you're just pissy about it or some <laughs> shit. I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> like I said, when we reach uh, a point where we can start doing Patreon, um, we'll have, like, a, a $20 tier where you get unreleased episode, where you get that unreleased episode for, like, a personal That would demo. be fucking awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I, I want I, I want the world uh, to 21 s- yeah um it was uh it was supposed to be named this just sounds like bicycle thieves <laughs> God, I don't I think I was probably the most pit, one of the most pissed in that segment nobody was pissed besides you because you're the only one who didn't realize we were making fun of you <laughs> <laughs> realize it I was just getting more and more annoyed that's the point of the podcast isn't it uh, allegedly yes allegedly all right then show your fucking mouth okay um is that the end of your review do you need to do a rating what's up I will say that the only thing good about this movie was in the in the first parts where Danny was still a kid, the actress that they got to play his mother was on fucking spot. Like, she actually had the same voice, a similar look, and she, like, mastered the way of speech. She was amazing. Nice. But that's the only good thing about this movie. I'd give it, like, a... A five out of ten. That's that's probably even too much. You know, out of morbid curiosity, I kind of want to see this thing. Just to see... Like, it was the same thing with uh, Dragon Ball Evolution. Part of me was just like, I have to see how bad this is. I mean, you can, but it's not worth it wasting two and a half hours of your life that you will never get back. <clears throat> okay, um... Um... So, guys, I have some more bad news. Vincent's getting married. Uh, I found a different article so I can actually read it properly now. Um, The headline is baboon armed uh, baboons armed with knives chainsaw spotted in UK safari park. Robbed by curious George. (laughs) There's some real monkey business. Oh my God. That opening line is fucking horrible. There's some real monkey business at a British safari park. That line is painful to read. (laughs) Um, Where a roving gang of baboons, armed with knives and even a chainsaw, have been wreaking havoc and sowing fear. The... Oh my god, why... Okay, can somebody please explain this to me? Why is it that fucking journalists think that they have to be cheeky and clever with the first line of each fucking section? It's to grab in the audience, man. (laughs) (coughs) Fucking no, it's fucking terrible. It's like with Kotaku and when they try to be all cheeky. The prowling primates. Nobody cares, shut up. The prowling 
primates. Uh, the prowling prime, the prowling primates are known to have vandalized vehicles, ripping off windscreen wipers and mirrors from them at the Nosley Safari Park in Merse, uh, Merseyside. <clears throat> but the baboons have recently been carrying an assortment of weapon, weapons, including blades, screwdrivers, and a chainsaw, leading some workers to suspect visitors have supplied them with dangerous items for a thrill. We're not sure if they're being given weapons by some of the guests who have who want to see them attack cars or if they're fishing them out of pickup trucks and vans, one employee told the paper. They will literally go into people's toolboxes and carry them around. One of the baboons was seen lugging around a chainsaw. Park officials pushed back the report suggesting the armed apes were an urban myth. Uh, we believe that many of these stories have grown an exaggeration and they've been retold with embellishment to make the objects that are sometimes found in an enclosure seem more exciting and unbelievable. The monkey enclosure is well known to mechanics in the northwest area of England, where the 550-acre park, which also houses lions, tigers, rhinos, wildebeests, and camels, is located. Hey, your mom's included. <laughs> oh jesus uh people know what's going to happen when they drive inside one mechanic told the outlet i've had two customers this year who have become victims of those baboons i have a mate with a garage in saint helens and it's exactly the same the kids start chirping up saying they want monkeys all over the car and next thing you know uh, you're driving home with no registration plate. Good money for us, mind you. So I'm not complaining, he added. Uh, <laughs> Nosley... What the fuck is silver lining? <laughs> uh, Nosley, which reopened on June 15th with security measures amid the coronavirus pandemic, argued that it was as safe as a McDonald's drive through since visitors remain in their vehicles. I, I don't think you lose license... I've seen footage of McDonald's drive-thrus. I don't think that in a McDonald's drive-thru you're going to lose your side mirrors and windshield wipers and have monkeys pointing fucking knives at you. Oh, God, I had a joke. No, I can't. Please do. Okay, okay. If it's really Let bad, I'll edit it, it out. There, okay, so this series I'm talking about is Monster. And actually, interesting thing when it comes to Steve, like, if we're talking about, like, uh, bigger names in entertainment, there was a plan by, uh, although I think it fell through or something, there was a plan by for HBO to get uh, Guillermo del Toro to make a live-action series of uh, Monster. Okay. Why though? I don't know because the anime kind of tells the whole manga story. But I, but with Guillermo del Toro, it could have been cool because it seems like something in his wheelhouse. So, the so how I would describe Monster, uh, it was based on a manga by Naoki Urasawa that ran between uh, ninety four and. 99 i believe the manga and then the anime was released between 2004 and 2005 it was animated by studio madhouse who have done pretty much a fuck ton of projects for me to go over Helsing i mean ultimate? the year the year helsing ultimate death note trigun hunter hunter i uh, i definitely know the 2011 version they did 
Um, I could just go on and on and on. Black Lagoon, so on and so forth. Um, this is a series where I only should talk about the first uh, four episodes. Because if I talk about anything else afterwards, I'm kind of ruining the entire show. So it's it starts in it, it the setting is um at first late uh it's late 80s uh Germany and it is as the Berlin Wall is falling and that's a key plot point throughout it's like the end of uh, the of communism end of U, of the USSR uh, that is actually a major uh, plot point in the uh show so it's around like during the fall of the Berlin Wall or shortly after. And it focuses on this doctor, this brilliant uh, neurosurgeon named Kenzo Tenma. It's weirdly enough, the only Japanese character in this entire fucking show. <laughs> and he is working at a prestigious hospital in, um, I'm, I'm kind of bad with German names at the moment for towns, uh, Dusseldorf, if I remember correctly. He's... A bit, he's like the head neurosurgeon. He's even engaged to the head, um, like the head guy, the head doctor's uh, uh, daughter. And things are going well until he is given a, uh, and this is not what starts like the plot. This is what motivates his actions. He's given the choice between helping some big uh, business. I, I forget. I forget exactly what his connection would be, but he would have been good for the hospital. And then saving a Turkish man who was in a bad um, construction accident. He saves the uh, rich business um, partner to the hospital. He's become dragged with guilt. Uh, the wife of the construction worker confronts him saying, why couldn't you save my husband? And he starts to question his integrity as a doctor. And then he's given the choice to save the, um, uh, 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 the mayor, I think, of Dusseldorf, if I remember correctly. But then he's also given the choice to save this kid of, a, of these two uh, G German refugees from the, from the other side of the wall. Who have been who and he's been shot in the head, and his sister, his twin sister, his parents have been killed, and he has a bullet in his head, and his sister's in some shock. He chooses to save the kid with the bullet in his head. <laughs> Sorry, it's I know what's going, uh, but it's it's good. Uh, and then he's reprimanded because he was supposed to save the mayor, not the kid. And he gets demoted. He loses his uh, engagement to the uh, to the woman, to the daughter. Her name's Eva, by the way. And a few years, about a decade goes by, and he is doing well at his job. Still, he's not been fired. But okay, one other thing. I can't believe I forgot this. Just so much shit happens only in the first four episodes. The head of the doctor and two other doctors, while the kid is recovering, are poisoned by candy and are dead. And and the, and a detective believes that it is um, K 
Kenzo, but there's not enough evidence to support it. So he just... So after the, all that shit goes down, he gets back his uh, position and is doing well his job and everything until he takes care of a locksmith who's working for... who is apparently involved with another individual who's like in this doing this rash of serial murders. The person who this uh, locksmith guy named... and I'm sorry, it's just there's so many names. Um, this character's name is Adolf. Yeah. Not... Yeah. No, no. He's not... It's just the name. Adolf a eunuch, I believe. It's some German well, last name. Have but... any dick? What? Oh god well, damn it. Have a dick. I don't I don't remember the last name. It was a German last name. I don't know German names that well. I just remember Adolf because how can you not remember Adolf? Nine So anyway, the person that this locksmith is working for return comes back for him. He runs away because he fears for his life. Kenzo follows after. And then he meets the guy that's apparently behind all these rash, these this spree of serial murders. And it turns out it's the kid that the doctor saved. The kid that had, like, the bullet in his head. He is now all grown up and is now a serial killer. And that's the first fucking four episodes of the show. This sounds like a fucking roller coaster ride. And again, only the first four episodes. It actually gets way more fucking crazy later on. Because we start getting involved child experimentation. We then get, like, there's hints that this this uh, the, the kid whose name is Johann Lieber, he's supposed to be the next fucking Hitler. <sighs> but Adolf isn't. No, he's a fucking locksmith. Or he was a locksmith until he was killed. Missed opportunity. Yeah, I know. But only in the first... It's like the, if the first four episodes don't at least intrigue you as to what's going to happen, I don't know what will, because that is a, an, a fucking amazing concept already. That the person that, if you're a doctor, the person you save, you do the right thing, then turns out to be a fucking murderer... And it's that—that's only the surface of this bolt of the web of government conspiracies, um, exper again experimentation, uh, cult-like worship of this guy. It becomes fucking insane. And it's uh, what is so great about the show is that you think you have. It's it's weird. The more you learn about what the deal is with uh, this Johan guy and the people that are have an interest in him, the more scary it gets. It's not like where you're in the dark and it's it's not like a... It, it's weird because it's like a... I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't call Monster a horror series. There is a horror-like element in the sense that it's not what you don't know that scares you. It's what it's how much you keep learning that starts to scare you because it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and it becomes more and more insane, more and more dark, more um, insidious. And that and 
and it's and even in the final episode which i will again i will not reveal i don't uh, this was as far as as spoilers as i'm going with the first four episodes even in the final episode you still learn at least one crucial element that then change almost i don't want to say changes your perspective entirely but it kind of shifts your perspective in a way of um the main villain johan who i must say is fucking terrifying and he's not terrifying in the sense that uh, he's like, you know, he's going ha and all that shit. He's honestly scary because he looks like a regular dude. He doesn't, like, I mean, the only thing that's, like, extra extraordinary about him is that he's got very good look. He's got good looks. He's got a very kind of, like, cold face to him. But he doesn't look, like, um, flamboyantly... Uh, you know, suspicious or evil. He just looks like some ordinary guy, which is really the case in a lot of, you know, like actual real life, you know, killers and whatnot. They don't look like fucking serial. They don't look like boogeyman monsters. They just look like regular people who just happen to do fucking fucked up shit. You look at Ted Bundy now. Yeah. And if you look at picture of Ted Bundy, of course, you're going to think it's fucking Ted Bundy. He's a psychotic fucking serial killer. But if you were to not know he's Ted Bundy, and just look at photos of him, like, with his family, you think he's a regular guy. And that's, I think, one of the great things about uh, Johan as a character. He is realistic in the sense that he could be, like, he's a monster, but he looks like an everyday person. Because that's really what a lot of monsters are. They look like everyday people because they are everyday people. And that's another thing that with the when we go to the characters, as I have it listed, the big kind of idea with monster is that we all have uh this is what i've interpreted a lot of the characters have a dark side to them even characters that you at first think look you know normal look um well put together they have a dark side like for instance there's a character who you meet him and at first you think he's just some ordinary guy working a restaurant or what have you until you learn about his backstory and what he did before he was a restaurant owner where you go, oh, shit. You were that before you were a restaurant owner, but you would never know because that's the thing. There's always like a darkness kind of hiding. There's always like something that's like dark within us. Even uh, Kenzo, there, even he's probably the most moral of the bunch because of his convictions as a doctor but even when he's like trying to go after johan there's always that like push for him to get closer to like the dark i don't i know that sounds like a star wars thing the dark side but like the the dark side of his uh humanity trying to kill johan because kenzo has the idea that you know all life is you know sacred everyone's created equal but now you're given johan who doesn't have that view who does who's Stops at absolutely nothing to, like, fuck with people, to ruin lives, to uh, kill people. And so you're given this dilemma throughout the entire show. And that's what I find intriguing. And even the characters who you're perceiving as monsters first. I know that sounds weird. Like, there's characters like Eva, who's a complete bitch. But... Fuck you. Uh, so characters like Eva who are perceived as like bitches, but there is like later on some sort of humanity to her. There is some, like, she's not just a one dimensional fucking cunt, even though she is a cunt many times, but there is like a redemption arc for her in the show. There's 
other characters such as um this this mob not mob but this far right extremist uh who's just simply called the baby who absolutely looks like the small the uh, the mini uh, the the uh little person character in Twin Peaks he like looks like that character the man from nowhere uh Justin what uh you know Twin Peaks who's that yeah. um the tall the man? man from nowhere or whatever we're talking about the tall dude or the midget? The, uh, the midget. Uh, fuck. Um, I'm blanking. I know what you're talking about, but the name is. Lost. Like he looks like like he looks like he looks like almost like like the like uh the mangaka Arasawa took the character and just kind of like made his own version of it not like a ripoff because i don't think they're the same characters but there is definitely an influence from david lynch which is something that i noticed as the show went on which is why when i talked to you monica about the show a while ago i said this is like i mean i've not watched david lynch films exclusively but there is definitely a david lynch like i feel quality to it because there's a lot of like surreal uh plot points and there's a lot of weird. Um, it's Lynchian. What's the one I'm looking for? It's it's what? it's got Lynchian inspiration. It's got that surreal, dreamy quality to it. Yeah, in a sense, and um, and I feel that like, uh, and th- there's definitely parts where. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to go in circles in a bit. Let me try to. Okay, I think I'm good now. Same here. Fuck you. Nobody cares. Fuck you. Fuck you. Suck my fucking dick, Vincent. Actually, better yet, find a halibut fish, make it suck your dick, then come over here and then suck my dick. Now with the uh, art. The art is very um, very influenced by uh, Osama Tezik. Vincent, you better not be fucking farting. How am I? How even if I farted, would you hear that? How yes! would you? The phone is by my mouth. I don't fart through my mouth like you do. <laughs> I would imagine that you probably try. I have. It's impossible. <laughs> uh, get, let me try to rec- re- recollect, recollect my, recollect my brain cells. Okay, so our very. Fuck you. So, art very influenced by Osama Tezuka, giving it a very unique look. The colors are very... I don't want to... They're very kind of... <laughs> the colors are very, like, kind of... I don't want to say, like, they're very downplayed. It's more of, like, kind of an earthy kind of uh, tone that the sh- show is trying to express. Animation-wise, it's very—it's not really all that extensive. And given this show is very dialogue-centric, there doesn't need to be like crazy um, uh, choreography or scenes or what have you. So it's not like, although it's kind of weird because it's like it's like with a show like Death Note that was very um, dialogue-heavy, but it was more like expressive and such. Here, it's more. Uh, I'm going to take like this chip break. and eat it. Oh god! <laughs> god I, I will always love that part. Actually, you know the guy who directed Death Note went on to then direct, I 
I don't know if he only did the first season. I think he only did the first season of Attack on Titan. I still haven't watched Attack on Titan. I don't know why. It's just there's zero interest for me. The first season is the best one in Attack on Titan anyways. Give me ReZero and I'll be a happy man. So, and then we got music, voice acting. Now, the uh, oh, the OP is the same OP throughout all 74 episodes. But what's interesting is that pretty much everything you see is spoilers from the, throughout the plot. Although, seeing it... Vincent, what the fuck are you doing? I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting here looking at your face. I swear you're fucking farting. You're making mouth. I swear to you, I'm not farting. Yeah, you're not farting. If I you're farted, just, you're just making fart noises with your mouth. Okay, I cannot confirm nor deny that. I can tell that's what you're doing. I can tell that's what you're doing. There is a subtle difference between mouth noises and the real thing. And everybody's on camera but you. I can see what everyone else is doing. It is you. If you keep it up, I am going to mute you. <laughs> consider that we just get a snake. Consider that my Phoenix right objection for the day. Okay. Okay. I was just gonna say that Vic, if I was actually farting, you'd be dead. It doesn't matter that you're miles away. You'd be dead. You Boom! Your like, jokes oh. stink. So does your mother. You're, you're no longer in the family. Go fuck yourself, Vincent. <laughs> oh, Christ. Anyway, I already mentioned the OP. The ED is like... It shows pictures of a picture book, which become very prevalent throughout the story. I told this to you, Monica, in the DMs about a <laughs> storybook. Hilarious. I'm going to go get some food. That fucking weirdo. Anyway. Um, voice acting. The dub is fantastic. It's got a lot of actors. Like, um, give me one sec. I'm trying to remember them off the top of my head, and that's not working. Uh, Liam O'Brien, who plays Kenzo Tenma. He's very good. Keith uh, Silverstein, who plays Johan Liebert. He's fucking amazing with that cold, like, chilling kind of voice. He's very great at that. Um, Karen Strassman for Anna, for uh, an, uh, Johan's sister, Anna. Uh, Richard Epcar, one of my favorite voice actors. He was, I believe, in, I believe he was in stuff like Ghost in the Shell. Um, yeah, go, yeah, I played Bato in, Ghost in, the, in the Ghost in the Shell series, and I love fucking Bato. That's another show I could talk about one day, Ghost in the Shell. Um, I think the only uh, thing to talk about is maybe some of the flaws. It, there becomes a point where the plot has all these interconnecting weaves, where all the characters are connected to this conspiracy, but it almost becomes ridiculous. I did a tweet where I basically made this joke that if you, it's almost like if in this world, if you sneeze on someone, they're like the cousin, brother's uncle to one of the guys who was working in this, like, spoiler, which I won't reveal. So there is definitely a part where the complexity of the plot almost becomes, I don't know, ridiculous, but it never, uh, I don't know. It's like it straddles the line, but it always works. But at some point, I'm kind of like, 
God, if this was done incorrectly, this would have been fucking stupid as shit, if I'm being honest. But it's just one of those things where it just it it it, it works for what it does. Um. So yeah, uh, I think if like if you have the time to watch something like that, because it's 74 episodes long, so it's not a short sit. You will be intrigued. I admit there are parts where the story gets kind of slower and more um, like uh, low key, but then like it crescendos and then rapidly becomes exciting again. So, yeah, I fucking love this this anime. I think even if you're not into anime, you I think you could you could still watch it because it's got none of the things that might detract people from watching anime. I guess there's no like. Um, Things that, well, I don't care if they are in, other people do. So, yeah, Monster, fucking amazing. Do you have a rating for it? Oh, yeah, uh, I put it like a 9.5. Easily. Lowest 9. I gotta admit, Monster is even better than Cowboy Bebop. Monster is better than Red Bull. Thanks. <laughs> oh, you castle. All right. Uh, we're finally going to be finishing off uh, the K-On universe with yes. uh, the movie. Uh, like a lot of the different episodes, it starts off with... Uh, Yui smacking at her alarm clock, turn it off so she can sleep in. But and you don't get to see her running to school or anything like that. It just immediately starts playing uh, it's borderline metal. And for a light fluffy anime, that's kind of weird. But when they get when you get to see the school, the girls are in there playing. Uh, they're covering Death Devil, their uh, teacher's old band. Oz just uh, walks through the door and finds them uh, mock fighting, saying, "Hey, we're going in this direction with the music. No, we're going in this direction. You suck. No, you suck." Once they get all that done, the the movie actually starts. It's the lighter movie comes up with the the movie title. But it cuts to them all sitting there drinking tea, talking about how they got into college. Uh, teacher joins them and is sitting there going, well, we haven't decided who all gets held back. So they ha they all have, uh, well, Yui and Ritsu kind of freak out a little bit, but they're stupid and they don't realize they already got into college. But they start... This is uh, away from Ozis's character. They... The girls start talking about wanting to do something special for her because uh, uh, four of them are graduating and they're just going to leave Azusa in the club. 
So right after they decide that they want to do something special for her, they uh, start talking about going on a trip for the club. They start throwing around different ideas. Uh, London, Dubai, England, a hot spring. Uh, one of the characters is stupid because they don't understand that London is in England. England is my city. <laughs> oh, that's an old meme. Sorry, I'll see. Yeah, I'm old. I'll stop. <laughs> You're old? I, I remember. I'm an old soul, yes. Even existed. I, I remember when Grumpy Cat was the new kid on the block. Long Cat. Um, fucking. My has cheeseburger. Rage Comics. The oldest thing I remember is what are those? That was such a shitty meme. Okay. Uh, to decide where they're going, Yui decides to do a ghost lottery, which if you don't know what that is, you write down the different things that you want and then you write, uh, draw different lines in different uh, designs and what you do is you have one of the characters point to a certain line and you have to follow it all the way down and that's where they decide to go. Yui cheats on this and has all the lines point to England. So the girls make her tape a, a mask to her face and they, they're talking about having the turtle decide where to go. So they put a bunch of different teacups inside the, the turtle's tank. And they're trying to figure out which one will the turtle go toward. Turns out they're going to London. So And the girls insist on bringing Azusa along with them uh, for the graduation trip. Uh, they all decide this before they even check with their parents. So there's a scene of them, you know, calling their parents and doing this shit. Uh, girls go to a travel agent and they're, it's stereotypical touristy stuff. Like, hey, do you want this package? And all of them are clamoring, yes, yes, we want that. But Ozzy turns out to be the one who is reading up on London, uh, figuring out the different places to go. She sets the itinerary for the entire thing. Uh, the girls, once again, they're talking about doing something special for us, so they're talking about possibly getting her something. Uh, Yui being Yui, she looks at Azusa's guitar, asks it what it wants, the guitar falls over, and Yui thinks that she hears the word song. 
So they decide to do a song for her. Now, all this cloak and dagger stuff behind the scenes with them is getting Azusa very... She's very suspicious. But, uh, it cuts to Ui packing Yui's bag, and they're cramming food, clothes, a self-defense book. Uh, pretty much everything you possibly can inside of a suitcase. These people are trying to put it in there short. There was actually a joke where, uh... Yui was talking about possibly shoving her sister in there to bring her. <laughs> be the first Sounds time I tried to do that. That's what I told my uncle when he asked if I could give him a green card. Yeah, I don't know why, but people think that people think that because I live in America, I can give everyone nationalities, like as if I was Oprah. <laughs> you get a nationality. You get a nationality. All of you get them. I could see you trying to do that. My neighbor actually wanted me to go down with him to the embassy and tell them that he's my friend and therefore it would make his process easier. Wow. And this is why I don't talk to people. They always want Yeah, well, he's my neighbor. He just knocks the door, and then he's there. Why can't it just be women who want something? Like our penises and their vaginas, consensually. Exactly. That's that's all we need in this world. Consensual intercourse. Yep. With femboys. Insert intercourse with you by Stewie Griffin. Family Guy sucks. After season five, yeah. But so yet? does The Simpsons. <clears throat> okay. It turns out that Yui, Azusa, and Mio all bring their guitars with them for the trip. Uh, they make it to the airport and... Hey, Vincent. Yeah? No, no, that was a real fart. That wasn't fart noises. I don't care. I was going to ask you a question. Yes, sir. Okay, you know the people movers they have? Yes. This, this is going to turn out bad for me. Yes? Well, uh, no, it's not going to turn out bad for you. I was just giving you a reference. These girls are on one of them, and they're just... They're acting dumber than Vic. <laughs> no, they're playing paparazzi. That's a that that takes some fucking skill to be dumber than Vic. <laughs> Just remember, we love you, buddy. I'm playing video games after this, and we won't hear from you again for three days. 
You suck at video games anyways. Like you're a fucking speedrunner uh, genius on Twitch. No, I'm not on Twitch, but I have mentioned before that I am number 11 on the number of speedrunners to play Dirk of Cerberus. That's actually pretty cool. Speaking of speedruns, wow. Vic, did you watch that five-minute portal speedrun? Fuck that. Oh, I God, hate that, that guy. He ruined prank. the game. <laughs> he made it to the fucking cake. I, I didn't think the cake was actually something you could get to. Neither did I. I didn't realize it was an actual room in the game. Y'all are stupid. Oh, because you knew you could get to the cake, Vic? Yes! I've seen the cake! You yeah. only see the cake in the end of the game! And a cutscene! It's not visible at any other time other than the cutscene at the end of the game. You can't access the room with the cake until you finish the game. And you can't even go in the room. It's just a cutscene. The camera pans down. It shows the cake. And then the claw reaches down, puts out the candle, and then the cutscene ends. Yeah, that's it. You're just supposed to be surprised that, oh, there was actually a cake. And that's it. Uh, uh, you, sneak, sneak, you suck at video games. I imagine my little brother could beat you in Tekken. Let's be honest, though, Vincent. Yes, of course he could. I suck at fighting. Let's be honest, though, Vincent. He doesn't suck at video games as much as you suck at life. Well, we all suck at life. That's true. Just Come look. On the honor Just roll. fucking look. Just fucking look. All right, let's let Jeb continue. Oh, yeah, three, 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 Jeb, if you're gonna kill me, go ahead and do it, alright? Just don't keep staring at me. <laughs> that, that stare says I am just so done with all of your bullshit. I mean, it's either that or his camera's actually frozen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the camera's frozen and his audio is not working at the moment. But that Wait, stare... Wait, I have to watch him stare at me until he comes back? <laughs> uh, the, the stare, it just screams, I'm fucking done with all of you. I just have the, um, like the two squares just playing a dance. Yeah, now that's happening on my end too. Uh, and all of my cameras rearranged. Uh, Why does it do that go back anyway? Home when he comes back, don't <clears throat> fuck with it. Um, I might be able to fix it to where it doesn't, maybe, if I make mine the big one, but it will degrade the quality of everybody else. Oh, God. That's a horrifying no, image. That is a terrifying what? image. Hold on. I will send a screenshot. It's, it's, it's horrible. I'm sending it in Thundercunts 2. 
Come on. Okay, can you guys hear me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. The image is all sorts of fucked up, though, so it's going to take me a minute to fix it, but go ahead and continue with your review while I'm dealing with it. Uh, Jeb, Jeb, you're breaking up like uh, fucking, uh, your video isn't working. Yeah, you're probably gonna want to shut off video and then try again. What the fuck is that thing on the far left? Yeah. That image of Justin's horrifying. What the fuck is this? Some red shit. <laughs> I think it's Monica's hat. <laughs> it's my hat and my headphones. <laughs> okay. Observe as I, Vincent the Great, will chop Monica in half. <laughs> Oh god, my face is gigantic right now and in two spots at once. This is this is not good. Your face is always big is always big anyways. We don't need it any bigger. Exactly. At least my beard is better than yours. Well, yeah, because I shave my beard, you don't. You trim it and take care of it. I even have beard oil. Poor Vic, we're here talking about beards, and he's going, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> no, I know what you're talking about. I just can't grow a beard. Beards, that's yeah, one of the things on the man. list of things that Vic will never have. Right next All to women. Yep. Yeah. He's got a little bit of dust. Alright, can you guys hear me? Uh, it's a lot yep. better than it was. I mean, at least at some point he... He's going to be able to afford that monster dildo he's always been wishing for. Yes, Vincent, I can't wait for the dildo. It's okay, buddy. We we support you no matter what you are. What the hell just happened? Okay, there we go. What the fuck is going on? Uh, my shit is all wibbly-wobbly. Mm -hmm. I like how right. through all of this, though, Vincent's camera has been fine. Should I hold on, or should I continue? Go ahead and continue. Okay. Uh, Yui snaps away, only to catch Oz uh, trying to read the notebook, and it's uh, a little interaction of did you see? No, I didn't see. Uh, you know, little girls being little girls. Uh, they arrive in England, and they uh, the next thing they have to do is go through immigration. Mia, of course, fucks up uh, talking about what she's doing in the country. Uh, they also... Somebody moved Mio's luggage off the belt, and she starts freaking out, thinking that her luggage is lost. They uh, they hop into a well, they 
they hail a cab and uh, they don't realize that cabs in England have suicide doors. So they give the, ho the, the driver the name of the hotel. They show up at the hotel and it turns out they're at the wrong location. So instead of taking a cab or a bus, they they take it on foot. They start off, but Azusa needs new shoes. Once they get done with that, they're all hungry, so they find a sushi place. The owner of the sushi shop uh, thinks that they're a band that's supposed to be playing a show because they all have their guitars with them. Uh, the girls end up playing a show thinking that they have to play to eat. Uh, turns out that the band that was supposed to play was uh, Reitz's friend band, friend's band, Love Christ. Uh, they get kind of pissy because they still haven't eaten anything. So they, they end up just going to the hotel and eating the stuff out of Yui's... Uh, suitcase now there's a dream sequence where Azusa is talking to Yui and Yui gets held back so she's having nightmares about that no oh she leans over and reads the notebook again and misinterprets it, thinking that Yui is in love with her. The next day, they go place to place taking pictures, uh, stereotypical tourist things, uh, taking pictures in front of cops and stuff like that. Uh, they find a tea room, but they get turned away because you need a reservation to go to it, and they, they don't. Uh, Mio starts freaking out about seeing the Eye of London, but she calms down after she's on it and they start riding it. Back in the hotel room, Yui starts running and uh, running towards Azusa. Azusa elbows her in the stomach, thinking that she was trying to hug her, but. but is it turns out she was just trying to run towards her guitar. Azusa kind of freaks out about it. She hides under the covers. So Yui sings her a lullaby, and I think Yui ends up falling asleep before Azusa does. But Yui wakes up and ends up in the uh, the room next door with the rest of the girls and they're trying to figure out what the sh what the song should be about Yui realizes that she forgot her room key but the girls tell her uh, you can just go through that door you'll be in your room and this turns into a little bit of an Abbott and Costello routine with Azusa and Yui circling 
saying, hey, this one's missing, hey, this one's missing. Uh, phone in the hotel rings. Uh, the girls are hesitant on if to answer it. They answer it, and it turns out they did it too late. Uh, the girls get uh, get another call on their cell phone to play a show at the Japanese festival, like a pop culture fest in London. Uh, girls decide to play the show. Yui has a hard time because she's sitting there trying to translate one of the songs into English. Uh, that that really doesn't go too well for him. Uh, Mugi, because she forgot her keyboard back in Japan, she gets it flown over for them to play the set. They get to the festival early and start looking around. They meet up with the other bands to find out where the layout of the, like, who's playing at what time. Uh, they think it's double booked as if they're going to have to play later, but it turns out that they're playing on an outside, outside stage instead of the inside stage. Uh, turns out that the call they didn't answer at the hotel room was their teacher calling to say that she's going to be arriving in London. Uh, the girls played the show to uh, a good-sized crowd. I want to say probably about 50 to 100 people. Decent. Uh, in the last song, Yui starts referencing different landmarks and stuff like that in English, which kind of throws the rest of the band off. Uh, girls end up running to the airport to catch their flight. But as they're uh, as they're doing this, they decide to just write Asa, uh just one of their normal songs instead of trying to go out of the way to make it different. Once they get back to school, they get to go ahead to play a show inside the classroom. They go up to Azusa and ask, is it okay if it's just the four of us because it's our classroom? Azusa flat out says, no, it's going to be all of us. So the other girls in the classroom start pushing desks together in the front of the classroom to make a stage. Uh, principal ends up hearing the music and he starts running towards the girls but the teacher is fighting with them, trying to pull them back, saying, you know, don't do it, don't do it. But when he finally gets there, he says, you know what, these girls aren't too bad. Let them play. Uh, Moogie comes up with a melody that the girls really seem to love, and they start trying to write lyrics to it. So each girl goes home, and they write their own little verse. And they get back together and combine. Azusa is still suspicious about what they're doing because it's, once again, it's going behind her back and everything's kind of whispers and secrets. Uh, 
Yui starts singing around the rest of her friends as they're continuing to write the lyrics. And she's uh, writing different guitar riffs at home. Uh, inside Yui's room, he sees the notebook and the lyrics, doesn't say anything. Uh, she only tells Azusa that everything is okay. There's nothing bad, there's nothing suspicious. So the girls end up heading up to the roof, talking about how nervous they are. And they get inspiration for the last part of the song, calling Azusa an angel. Now, this is where the show kind of picks up where the movie ends. Where Azusa shows up and they play the song for her. And it montages the girls singing different parts. And it ends with them running, talking about what they're going to do for Azusa's graduation, where they're going to go for that. And that's where the movie ends. Um, from from what I understand, the cut they're, they're uh, they just started doing another run of the manga, and it's already in talks that they're they're probably going to end up doing a season three of Chaos. But that's that's a good distance away. Overall. For the entire series, I would give it a solid 8 out of 10. Uh, just based on how they write the characters, uh, the, the detail-oriented animation, the fact that they got the licensing for all of the different instruments, um, and the way everything just seemed to mesh. Like, the animation was uh, a little moe, little uh, rounded, but they don't make it too cartoonish. You know, nobody's eyes bug out. They don't, they don't do anything like that. They try to make it as realistic between high school girls as it can be. Uh... And to be honest with you, I think the voice actresses nailed each one of their characters. But yeah, if you get a chance to, uh, the entire series is going to take you probably, I know the second season is 10 hours, first season is 5 hours, and I think the movie is only an hour and a half so it'll take you a while to get through but it's definitely worth it day or night depending on what time it is that you watch this i'm monica i'm vic i'm vincent Jeb. 